Hello, my name is Ben. And I'm Nora. And we are your hosts of the Too Vague podcast this week. One word, two hosts, trivia, stories, and... Gaming? Video games. Yeah. Yes. I knew that's what it was. I wasn't like, is that what it is? Video games? No, that's what it is. (laughs) I'm just workshopping this. I know. For what I'm going to put on a card. If I do go to PAX this year. Oh, yeah. I'm still on the fence. I don't want to start making those things work trips. Right. But I mean, it would depend on the way the way I frame it. If I'm meeting new people, that's what I do on the show anyway. When I have guests, it's like I'm meeting someone for the first time. I can have a conversation with pretty much anyone. And so. Yeah, right. There we have it. That's a good. And there are a lot of people there that would have similar interests for sure. Exactly. Yeah. But anyway, let's get into it. Before we start, are you playing anything new? No. I actually have a couple projects oh, okay. that I'm doing right now. What kind of projects are you doing? Well, one of them is just about foreign policy, a discussion group. Oh, nice. And about China and America. Okay. And that's what I'm tomorrow morning or at noon or something. We have a discussion group about it. So okay. I've been studying that. Kind of. Don't you mean Gina? Gina. What do you... Never mind. <laughs> no, I don't. <laughs> Just the way a certain person pronounces China. Oh, oh, okay. Gina. Okay. okay, yeah. And then I'm, I, I give a presentation once a year to this other group. Yeah. So I'm getting ready for that because that happens in a month. Oh, okay. And I have not started yet. I think I've got it down to the Russian Revolution. Okay. But involving our family in Lithuania at the time. The Bolsheviks and stuff? Right. Until the Bolsheviks all died. Right. But then what did we get? Stalin. It took a while, though. Kind of funny that you bring up Russia, because we're going to be talking about that a little bit in the gaming segment. Even in the discussion segment, conversation. I mean, I kept running across Russia as an example of reality dystopia. Yeah. Even though that's another, the definition actually says it's fictional. Yeah, it's just that for utopia as well. But they said dystopian. You can call it dystopian. Let's not get into it quite yet. Okay. So you you're doing working on your school projects for your people's group <laughs> yeah your group yes. of people you're educating people yeah. don't you find it funny that you have gone from being a teacher to being a teacher no I, I love it because i'm actually teaching what i want i mean i pick the subject right and i'm teaching to people who pay attention and ask questions <laughs> Okay, okay. Unlike a lot of the students I had. Right. You know, some of them did, sure, but... This is something I was going to bring up, what I'm playing. Yeah, well, what are you playing? What? Well, Nora, funny that you asked, <laughs> without being prompted by me. I played a game called The Murder of Sonic the Hedgehog. Oh, somebody murdered Sonic? Yes. Oh, no. Well, yeah. Spoiler alert. Yeah. It's a point and click visual novel slash video game that the Sega social team made and published for the Mac OS and for Windows as sort of a an April Fool's joke. Oh, okay. Okay. It's available for free. The summary is Sonic gets murdered on Amy Rose. Amy Rose is a character. Okay. Like uh, Sonic's girlfriend or whatever. But Amy Rose has a, has a birthday and they're on a train. And the whole birthday party is murder mystery train kind of thing. Ooh. Yeah. I might like it. It's fun. I mean, it's not, there's not a lot of mysteries. It's like a cozy, a cozy mystery. Exactly. Okay. So no Good. actual murder is involved. The only thing that I think you would have trouble with are the video game segments. It's one of those runner kind of, you've got to move left and right and collect rings and get a certain number of rings before you reach the end or else you have to try over again. It's just basically a gated story. Uh It has a thing that's think or like imagine 
to think about what question you're going to ask or how you're going to question the person. And then it has this little video game segment. And then once you complete that little video game segment, it moves on to the next part. Ah. And there are little point and click things where you're finding objects, finding clues. Yeah. And your character, you play as someone who works on on the murder train. Yeah. 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 Murder birthday party train thing. You know how they have anthropomorphic animals in the oh yeah in the Sonic universe. They've got all different kinds of animals, but you play a quaka. Uh, okay, I I don't know that. Do you don't know what a quaka is? No. Okay, it is a small macropod about the size of a domestic cat, member of the genus Cetonix. You know, too bad Dad isn't here. He could confirm this. There are marsupials. But they're kind of a Okay, I was going to ask if they were mammals, but okay. They're herbivores, and they look... I don't know how to explain them other than the fact that they're nocturnal, look almost like rodent, sort of like a bunny, but they look almost like they're smiling all the time. So kind of like a smaller... How do you spell it? Q-U-O-K-K-A. Oh, okay. You looking it up? Yeah. It looks like a little wombat. I was trying to think of what else it kind of looked like, but it looked sort of like... um, A big rat? Maybe even a possum. Well, no, I don't think it looks like a rat. It's face. It's got an opossum-y face. Yeah, it it does. Well, I think possums look like rats, but... Okay. Uh, But yeah, I get it. I get it. It's a marsupial rat, I guess. Okay. (laughs) That eats a lot of vegetables. I'm guessing one of the few Australian animals that won't kill you, so... Put that on your list. Yeah, right. But anyway, you play an anthropomorphic quaka. Quaka, okay. Yeah, that's what I played. It was a lot of fun. I completed it. It was about three hours or so. I was going to ask. I talked to you about my thought on visual novels and their visual novels where it's just, that's all it is. It's like you read, but unless it has some sort of game components, I'm not usually too interested, but this did it right. Oh, okay. Very good balance. All the people who played it seemed to really, really like it. It reminded me almost of a childhood sort of game that you could play on like one of the portable handheld systems. Uh Uh-huh. Back in the day. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Right, right. Because it was so successful as far as the number of people who ranked it very highly, I wonder if they're going to actually come out with a legitimate one that's got more game components to it at some point. But Okay, where does this come from? I mean... Can I get it on my computer? Okay. You, or my iPad? Not on your iPad. It only was released for the Mac and Windows. So... Oh, well, I have I have Windows. If you install Steam and you have a Steam account, you oh. probably would be able to download that and play it. It okay. isn't too robust as far as graphics and so on. You don't need a joystick. You can pretty easily use the up, down, left, right keys Oh yeah, for the little video game segments. So yeah, pretty well-planned April Fool's sort of thing. Yeah. As you alluded to, what our word is this week is the word dystopia. Ah, yes. I'm going to start with the definition of utopia which is an imagined place or state of things in which everything is perfect. Very similar to your paradise, Eden, Shangri-La, Elysium, Seventh Heaven, Nirvana, Bliss, Arcadia, blah, 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 all those. That is a mid-16th century word based on the Greek OU and topos, not and place. The word was first used in the 1516 book called Utopia by Sir Thomas More. Oh, okay. And you would think if you've got a word like utopia, you might have an antonym for it right off the bat. However, dystopia, which is our word that we're talking about, noun, an imagined state or society in which there is great suffering or injustice, typically one that is totalitarian or post-apocalyptic. Right. The origin of that word is the late 18th century dis, which is bad, and utopia, I know. which is bad. It's bad utopia. That's what, dis, bad, dis, bad utopia. I mean, I... This, I this bad thing. utopia, that bad utopia, yeah. who knows? <laughs> Dustopia, 
was the original spelling of dystopia, which appeared in uh, Lewis Henry Young's Utopia or the Apollo's Golden Days, which was a book in 1747. So it took a couple of centuries to get the antonym. Yeah, I was thinking it was, I don't know, like examples that I've seen, Gulliver's Travels was... 17 something i think Mm -hmm. and those were kind of enjoyable yeah i I mean they were well but i mean i think it was just a place it wasn't really a utopia or a dystopia right it was kind of was it well he ends up in a place where he has no control right and it's uncomfortable for him right and, and he has to learn to live that way you know by their rules for him it's a dystopia Right, and for the readers yeah. as well. Yeah. Unless you're a Lilliputian or something. Right. Then it's- I always forget the big people, whatever the big people are. There's the Lilliputians and then there's They're the- humans. <laughs> no, I, I know, I know, I don't, I don't remember But anyway, that. before we get too far off, there are two antonyms for utopia that were used in this speech by John Stuart Mill. Oh, okay. In 1868, it was a parliamentary speech- Oh. To denounce the government's Irish land policy. Okay. It is perhaps too, and this is the quote, it is perhaps too complimentary to call them utopians. They ought rather be called dystopians or cacopians. Cacotopians, actually. It's one. Yeah. Cacotopians. Cacotopians. So cacotopians. <laughs> what is commonly called dystopians. Cacotopian was originally proposed in 1818 by Jeremy Bentham Yeah, as a match for utopia. So it's one of those words that kind of had other words that said the same thing, but dystopia was the one that remained more popular. That being said, there's kind of an interesting sort of fact right. about Anthony Burgess, yes. author of A Clockwork Orange, or, yes. said that Cacotopia was a better fit for George Orwell's 1984 because it sounded worse than dystopia. That's what he said. <laughs> I don't know if it sounds worse. It's a lot harder to pronounce. Yes, it is. It is. As I've illustrated a number of times. Yeah, right. Cacotopia. Cacotopia. So, that is the origin, etymology, what have you, dystopia. Right. Right. Did you do any research on this? Yes, I did. Okay. One paper that I really wanted to go over. Mm -hmm. It has the items that make something dystopian. Okay. Is there an actual article? Yes. Okay, cool. Who is this article from as far as what things make up a dystopia? It's from Miami-Dade College. Okay. I never write down specific writers or the stuff that I would if I were writing a paper, Mm -hmm. but I got the information from a big thing from Miami-Dade College where obviously in some class they were studying elements of dystopian Fiction. Dystopian fiction specifically, right? Yes. But remember, the Oxford Dictionary, I believe, it was the one that said dystopia is a fiction. Correct. So that would be redundant. In reality, you can call something a dystopian lifestyle or dystopian living. Yeah. Government control is one of the elements. Mm-hmm. Environmental destruction. Okay. And that's a big one. Loss of individualism. Society is the antagonist. Survival, you have to survive. Right. That is not often made very comfortable to survive in. Okay. And technological control. Okay. Advances in technology are used to control and instill fear. Mm. But then they have almost the same thing. They have types of dystopia. Okay. And they just have four of those, though. Bureaucat- <laughs> Bureaucratic. Bureaucratic. <laughs> hey, where are the podcasts when you need them? You know, they're, they're napping. They're being bureaucrats. Yes. Uh, bureaucratic control, mm-hmm. which relates to the government control. Right. Corporate control. A large corporation controls people through media and product. 
mm-hmm. philosophical and religious control slash religious control ideology forced you know on cult like i think of with that very much so then the last one is what again well, technological control okay. same as the uh, elements of right if you think about it that's i mean that's what happens environmental destruction is a big one mm-hmm. actually the lorax someone i mean the stuff i read the lorax by dr seuss mm-hmm. is dystopian okay because of the environmental destruction right and you're fighting fighting against the protagonist the lorax is fighting against this technological control i mean boy oh boy oh big bright red lights flash 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 right <laughs> right <laughs> you know all right maybe somebody's watching me through my tv i don't give a hoot yeah <laughs> but you know that's but they do have i mean if somebody decides they want to know anything and everything about you, right. they probably could mm-hmm. if they had the right people working on it. Right. The right people or companies or technology. Right. right. Well, the companies that they have to have the right people. Yeah. The companies, the technology. Yeah. See, I'm, I, AI isn't intelligent without humans. Not yet. I know, I know. Not yet. Exactly, exactly. That could be one of those, the AI component of a post-apocalyptic sort of Oh yeah. future, which usually some sort of an event is my thought, those different types of dystopias. Yeah. The thing I thought was an apocalyptic event of some sort. Yes. Something that caused even though it wasn't necessarily a utopia in the first place, something can be dystopian, even though it wasn't a utopia in the first place. It doesn't have to be, right? Definitely, definitely. Okay. Yeah. Just the world that everybody lives in and thinks everything is just fine. Right. Something happens, whether it's environmental destruction or another government. World or, War Three. Yeah, whatever, you know. Yeah. Uh, but... Um, it becomes dystopian. That that doesn't mean. And see, apocalypse. To me, an apocalypse tends to. I think of complete end of the world. Okay, I think of an apocalyptic event as something very nearly. You know what I mean? Like yeah. And usually, when they say post-apocalyptic future, I think they don't actually use the dictionary definition of apocalypse necessarily okay okay just some major yes something major that causes this you you say post-apocalyptic future what is the first movie you think of the road warrior or mad max or one of those oh yeah yeah that's for i was thinking of that one just a little bit ago yeah and those are you know you refer to it as a post-apocalyptic society right it's a society that existed through the apocalypse right exactly an apocalypse should be by definition, the end. Right. Right. That's what I was thinking. Yeah. But uh, once again, it, it was what I learned a long time ago, and things changed. Right. Once again, the literally phenomenon <laughs> where you've got the word that becomes something else, means something else based on usage. Right. Uh, something related to, right. I mean, those are our elements. And I could list a long number of books, but I won't. No, no, no. Let's talk about some of your, I mean, do you have favorite books? Favorite? No. Authors, I think of Huxley, like Brave New World. Yeah, right. I cannot pronounce his first name. I want to say it's Aldous. Aldous. Just Aldous. Okay, Aldous Huxley. A-L-D-U-S, even though it's not spelled that way. Gotcha. Yeah, Aldous. Aldous Huxley. Yeah, that one pops in mind. Somewhere I read, and I don't think I wrote it down. That there were four types of dystopian fiction. There are, one of them was Huxleyan. Oh, okay. Referring to yeah, uh, Kafka-esque, but Kafka I don't think of as a dystopian. Just strange writing. Yeah, I mean, I, you could say strange. Just this whole waking up as what is it, cockroach? <laughs> well, yeah, that's one of them. But that to me, just as a concept, is an odd concept. Right. Which doesn't really seem realistic. But at the same Correct. time, it's kind of a horror story. Exactly. Yeah, I'm trying to think of who else the four of them that they listed. Mm. Oh, I know. One of them was Phil Dickian. 
Philip K. Dick. No, I know. But I mean, just say Phil Dick. Well, I know. Phil Dick. That's what they called it. Phil Dickian. And I, I read one of his dystopian novels. Mm-hmm. I can't remember the name of it, but they made a TV show series out of it. Right. That was streamed. And I cannot think of the name of it. I was thinking of things to read to Tom when he was in his nursing home. So I reread, or I read science fiction, because he liked science fiction a lot. Yeah. He was a strange, a strange dick. Uh, Doc, I mean. (laughs) (laughs) I meant that. You know, curving slightly to the left. (laughs) Politically. Politically, we're not talking about, that's not what we're talking about. (laughs) So Philip K. Dick's story, a lot of people have adapted movies based on using that as kind of a nugget, uh, you know, to start the story. Okay. The Man in the High Castle is the one I read. Okay. And they did make a uh, series on one of the streaming channels. Mm-hmm. In Well, your dad was alive because I talked to him about it. Mm-hmm. Told him how much I hated the book. <laughs> ah, what did he have to say? Well, uh, you know, Ed and Tom, both my brother and my husband, were great science fiction fans. Mm-hmm. And I was just trying to fit in kind of. Mm-hmm. And so I think I think your dad was just going, well, what do you expect? You don't like science fiction, you know? Right, exactly. Uh, <laughs> so, so anyway. It's like saying, uh, this Mexican food is horrible. It's like, don't you hate Mexican food? And then you go, yeah, but still. <laughs> yeah, right. I can appreciate good Mexican food, even though I hate it. <laughs> yeah, right. yeah, oh, uh, Ray. Bradbury. Ray Bradbury, another one. Yeah. I've read a number of his books mm-hmm. and I like them a lot. Okay. His aren't so far out. I mean, they might be far out, but they're so human. Mm. His characters are so human. Was the Martian Chronicles, was that him? Uh, no, that was. Oh, God. Martian Chronicles. Frank, somebody. I'm getting there. Ray, Ray Bradbury. <laughs> okay, so it was Ray Bradbury. Well, I was wrong, wasn't I? Yeah, it was. Interesting, interesting. You made me doubt myself. Well, how does it feel? How does it feel? Well, no, I'm just saying. It's like, I'm pretty sure it's Ray Bradbury. <laughs> no, I really thought it. I don't know what I'm thinking of. It matters not. Yes. I was thinking of Fahrenheit. 451, 451, right, which is a post-apocalyptic fiction thing. That involves books. Right, and burning them. Yes. (laughs) Do you think that is a, I mean, I think that's a common theme in a lot of these dystopian future where expression is limited and you cannot express yourself. That expression of any kind of self. You're taught to express yourself the way they want you to. Uh, right. And only that way. Right. And whether the, it's by force or whether it's by uh, growing up that way. Yeah. Unique characteristics are not welcome. Correct. Being creative, not welcome. No. Because you're not falling in line, right, to the right. way society is is being run. As long as we're talking about Russia. Now, I'm talking about my program I'm doing. Okay. That happened, book burning. And trying to make a culture mm-hmm. disappear Right. when my grandparents lived in Lithuania. Right. Russia might have said it was Russia at the time, but right. Lithuanians the, never said that. No. They, Bolsheviks came and burned my grandfather's books. And my, my great-grandfather and my grandfather were people in their village mm-hmm. who read and wrote if somebody needed something read to them or if they needed something written. And they also taught okay. people to read and write. Yeah. And so they had they had books and the Bolsheviks wanted anything educational and Lithuanian mm-hmm. out. And they burned all of that. They don't want intelligent people, you know, they want little Stepford wives. No, that's <laughs> <laughs> what am, 
stormtroopers. Let's do. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. It would be like stormtroopers, Attack of the Clones, kind of Star Wars universe. So, They're yeah, all the same. Yeah, yeah. I would say that was a um, dystopian place for my grandparents to be. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. So, and it was more than that, of course. But oh yeah. Um, I mean, we can also say yeah. things about Germany. Oh, you know, that, that, yeah. that whole thing with with trying to limit and promote a society that certain people think was a utopian society that they were trying to create. There, yeah. But really, it was horrible. You're eliminating people based on a criteria that you set, which is unfair. Right. And, you know. Exactly. Exactly. So I don't care what other people say. I just don't care for that Hitler. I just don't think he's uh, <laughs> You know, bang, you're out of there. Okay. I mean, movies is another one that, you know, movies and television, of course, have these dystopian oh, yeah. sort of themed. Uh, Planet of the Apes, mm-hmm. Animal Farm, kind of. Mm. Uh, 1984, for sure. That was a slap in your face one, you know. Yeah. And they've all been made in, into um, movies. Right. And. They had to change 1984 a few times. Orwell. George Orwell. What did he write? Animal Firm. No, that was... That was George Orwell. No, it wasn't. Yes, it was. (sighs) (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it was. I'm sorry. You're right. It was. I'm sitting here looking directly. (laughs) Animal Firm, novella by George Orwell. Yes, I know. I know. Lord of the Flies is one that was very popular movie and book when it came out. Yeah, that's... And ever ever since has been. That whole Lord of the Flies society... Right. They're trying to survive a boat crash or some sort of crash. Uh, Yeah, I forgot. I forgot what it was. But they're on an island, so... Yeah. uh, You know, we we had mentioned Utopia is usually a contained space. Mm-hmm. That I think of, I think of it as, because right. we're never going to get international utopia. And dystopia could be not just one place, but spread all over the world. If it's uh, some kind of nuclear problem or environmental problem that right. causes it, it could be all over the world. And the Lord of the Flies is an example of a dystopia happening in a smallish space yeah. on an island. Right. You know. Kill the pig. Cut his throat, spill his blood. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, Yeah, we had to read that. Yeah. I think everyone had to read that. Do people have to read things still these days? I'd like to think. Yeah, they do. Okay. Yeah, Lord of the Flies definitely won. What I wanted to bring up was a real life utopia. Yes. That people have criticized. And this has been going on since its creation. Are you familiar with Oroville? A-U-R-O-V-I-L-L-E, Oroville. No, I am not. Okay. It's real. It's not a fiction. Correct. Okay. It is French for City of Dawn, Oroville, an experimental township in Villapuperum district of Tamil, Tamil Nadu, India. (laughs) Oh, okay. Oroville was established by Mira Alfasa, who was referred to as the mother. Okay. Oroville essentially belongs to nobody. They have these, it seems like a cult. Where I got that, I saw this BuzzFeed series on Netflix where they investigated this, this Oroville. The show is called Follow This, and this is just a... Oh. It's not a comprehensive documentary of Oroville. It is a 15-minute, sort of 16-minute blurb where one of the people who works at BuzzFeed wanted to go to Oroville and see Riga Ja explores Oroville, an eco-conscious spiritual city in India, speaks with residents about how they created their own version of utopia it is very beautiful looking they've got forests there is this gold sort of geodesic dome-esque yeah. thing in the middle of, okay. of the city yeah are you looking at i it? pulled it up yeah. yeah but because of its nature and its origins and this person 
who founded the city. Yeah. It has experienced a lot of growing pains, but it tries mm-hmm. to, it's a community that accepts everyone for whatever their origin is. Was it inclusive to begin with, mm-hmm. the people that lived in the area? Or could anybody from different parts of the world come and join? I think it was inclusive from the start. But it does sound cult-like. I mean, there is a website. Oroville has a website. <laughs> yeah, yeah. City of Well, Dome, they got that Oroville. technology. Yeah. Yep. That's part of the utopia. I think anybody could move there. They still have problems politically. You know, if you look into it, it used to be self-sufficient. It used to be a, its own thing. And then once Mira Afasa died, Oroville was founded in 1968. Okay. She died, I believe, in 1973. They tried to survive without her. And then they weren't able to make it as utopian, I guess. Yeah. Inauguration ceremony attended by delegates from 124 nations was held February 28, 1968. Wow. Its four-point charter set forth her vision for integral living. And here are the four rules, I guess. Oroville belongs to nobody in particular. Oroville belongs to humanity as a whole. But to live in Oroville, one must be the willing servitor of the divine consciousness. Oroville will be the place of unending education, of constant progress, and a youth that never ages. Oroville wants to be the bridge between the past and the future, taking advantage of all the discoveries from without and from within. Oroville will boldly spring towards future realizations. And the fourth, Oroville will be a site of material and spiritual researches for a living embodiment of an actual human unity. Human, there's the word that messes it up. Right. Without human intervention, a utopia could exist. Exactly, exactly. That's the thing that ruins a utopia, is unless you have a team with a shared vision then right or a hive mind i would say i mean if you if you have a group of people who are thinking exactly the same way yeah yeah then yeah i guess you could have a utopian society for that group of people here's a society that should have been utopian communism theoretically right theoretically but we see what happens <laughs> with that people are in power, they're power hungry and yes, greedy. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think that's a good segue. Unless you want to talk more about this Oroville, but you should check it out. No, I, yeah, yeah, it looks kind of interesting. Yeah, they do have <laughs> some. I mean, they do have this series does have some interesting things that they're doing with building of houses and yeah. you know material things that other societies aren't trying to use because it's it's an experimental sort of thing they make beautiful beautiful houses there okay what's the name of the the series or the thing you said the name of the series was called follow this follow this okay follow this that does sound like something to follow up on (laughs) yeah like i said it's just basically someone from buzzfeed who gets sent to a place or requests something and they do a little research kind of trip to write about it. Right. There was one that was really interesting that as far as modest dress, a person who is a fashion designer designs clothing that is acceptable for Muslim women. Yeah. Essentially. So it's a Muslim clothing design thing. It's It's got all sorts of really wow. interesting sort of bits. There's also the sex bot. The what? There's a, an episode about sex bots. So robots that people are designing. Oh, bots. I thought you were saying pots, like sex bots. <laughs> sex bots. No, that's that's different. Okay, that's bots. a different channel. Oh, that makes it better. Yeah. Well, not by much. <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay. Yeah, robots and an AI that can talk with you. And it's just some interesting things on this show. Yeah. And they're very digestible, little 15 minutes. You can binge watch it pretty quickly. Yeah. But anyway, that's where I found out about this 
utopian, quote unquote, utopian society okay. that's had its share of, even as of recent, there have been sort of development issues where Indian governments have tried to uproot all the trees yeah. in the area and there's building oh. things and there's, you know, and that's in 20, 2021 even. It's something that borderline teeters on on the edge of sort of being a cult, but not, you, you know. Right, right, right. People living together and sharing what they discover and design, and it seems like it should be a utopian society. They're trying. But what you said, humans are involved, therefore <laughs> yeah, there is no possible way. <laughs> I like to think there could be at some point. but I would too. But now I'm old and jaded. Mm. Seriously. Yeah, like that's going to happen. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. And so I just think uh, humans are just such, uh, some, some groups of humans are just such uh, pigs, uh, greedy, power-hungry, uh, misogynistic, sexist. Uh, Self-serving. Okay, maybe just small little sections. <laughs> Maybe not, but there's a lot of good people out there. I know that. Right. I know that. But I mean, all that gets broadcast and all that gets yes. shown to society, even now that we've got social media. I mean, even back in the old days of the news, the only things that got a lot of airplay was all the horrible things that humans do, right? Yes. There wasn't anything yeah. that showed you that these people shared a meal together. Isn't that great? You know, it's like... <laughs> Yeah, yeah. No, that doesn't that doesn't bring in viewers. Not too no newsworthy, yeah. Well, right, but what I'm saying is people getting together, it's not something that sells, quote-unquote exactly. sells. Oh, yeah, sells, or, yeah. You know, people are interested in that for some reason. Yeah. Whether or not they're interested in it because they want to make themselves feel better or they want to be thankful that they're in their position and not someone else's, Self-serving. Humans are despicable, but <laughs> I guess I still like to think the best of them, you know? Okay, I, and all humans aren't. No, no, I no. I mean, no. That's, there are some very good people, lots of very good people out there. Agreed. Some of them might be defensive because of all the negative people they've had to right. deal with. I don't place a value judgment on someone until... I interact with them. Right. If you're going to be fair, you try and be that way with everyone, which goes counter to what survival instincts we have as humans. And Exactly. Exactly. In some cases. So you were mentioning Russia. Yes. Russia. There is a game that I've been playing ah. that is called Atomic Heart. It is in a dystopian sort of setting where... Essentially, Russia and Germany, after Germany fell, Russia had this technology where they were building robots in the 50s. Okay. Because of a polymer technology they discovered. So, there was this thing called the Brown Plague, which they allude to was released by the Russian government and wiped out horrible amounts of humans yeah. everywhere in the United States and in all the rest of the world. So they built robots and these robots were all on a system, sort of a hive mind thing that where they all thought and were organized together. So they were all think quote unquote thinking right together. Yeah, right. Right. They have that. And then beyond that, they developed technology that would allow you to control robots with your mind and then the next thing was this version of it that was all humans that could connect and learn together, i.e. a utopian society where everyone's equal, right? Right. It's not really even a utopian society where everyone's equal. Everyone is equal when you connect to a thing that makes you all know everything. But, you know, it's... right. It's one of those things where you could think about it and argue about it. <laughs> right. The story. Exactly. When you started telling me about it uh, just now, mm -hmm. I thought if we have enough 
AI robots that uh, can interact as humans. Mm -hmm. I wonder if they could have a utopia because if you don't add the power and greed and all that stuff to the robots, yeah. could they live in a utopia? Well, I mean, once they eliminate humanity. Well, yeah, okay. Because that's <laughs> going to. then. <laughs> seriously, like if humans, they destroy the world or whatever, right? Uh, they they are self-serving. Therefore, the robots would have to eliminate the humans in order for them to even consider their own utopian society. Because Except that it, once they start eliminating humans, that's kind of exactly <laughs> Exactly. Yeah. exactly. Oh. It's the Ouroboros or whatever, the snake eating its tail kind of thing. Right. But anyway, when this brown plague, they sent out the brown plague. Yeah. And... Uh, then they, as an act of basically to help in this illusion of helping everyone, yes, they sent them robots to take the place of all the people that they lost so they didn't, you know, yeah. so they could have them in their factories and do their work for them and so on and so forth. And all these yeah. robots operated together on this network. Well, then you come find out they're going to launch this new collective 2.0 which is what it's called where everyone can connect to this network and learn everything okay because they're all connected together so if so and so knows how to sew you know how to sew uh-huh uh-huh uh, if so and so knows how to do this then you know how to do this it is the idea of a utopia it's also very technologically prescient or something yes because that's what technology does mm-hmm it can level the, well, I mean, that's the thing. It's it's these communist ideologies of everyone being equal. That is right. part of the design of this story in the game. The developer is actually Russian. They're called Mundfish. Oh. This game was created by them and published by Focus Entertainment and Four Divinity, which are two, I believe, French companies that, without the game okay yeah, that's interesting so it's like everything that's in russian is actually in russian in the <laughs> yeah, game right 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 but voiceovers everything's done in english for depending on your region i'm guessing right so okay does, does putin know about this well, okay <laughs> funny that you say that yeah because there are accusations out there and, and this is one of those disinformation sort of things where we don't know what's true and what isn't right because of social media but there are reports from people, quote unquote, that this company, Mundfish, has collected people's data and so on and so forth. But they're just a video game company and they're making their video game. <laughs> and so you don't really know what is going on. They put out a statement when they were accused of this. Yes, Atomic Heart developer Mundfish has been accused of harvesting data of users based in Russia and providing it to the Russian security services. The developer... We'd never do that in the United States. No. <laughs> well... Sorry. <laughs> not without signing an end-user agreement that you agreed to. <laughs> uh, well, I'm sorry I interrupted you. Please go on. But it's 100% true, right? Yeah. You can say that it's for your benefit, but it can be used right. negatively. It can be used to target, whether that targeting is to help suggest the proper thing that you need at this point in time or to try and sway your opinion. Correct. Data can be used for good and for evil. Mundfish itself, the developers denied the allegations and there are no ties between this company and Russian President Putin, uh -huh. but its publisher and some of its investors are tied to Putin. Wow. There's that. When this game was released on the anniversary of the Russian invasion of the Ukraine, but that's possibly coincidental because releasing games go on a cycle where yeah. you want to release the game at a specific point in time because if other really high profile games are being released, your sales are going to be horrible. Uh, yeah. Overshadowed. Exactly. And the def there's a Defender of the Fatherland Day. Uh, apparently, are, are we talking about the game? No, no, we're actually talking about 
a Russian holiday, which I didn't know about. May 1st. No, Defender of the Fatherland Day is celebrated on the 23rd of February. Uh-huh. Except in Kazakhstan, where it is celebrated on the 7th of May. Ukraine abolished the holiday starting in 1992. Yeah, good. Wow. Yes. Okay. Munfish has released a statement that said they are neutral in world affairs and do not comment on politics or religion. The studio is undeniably pro-peace organization against violence against people, but the Ukrainian Ministry of Digital Transformation... What the hell is the... (laughs) (laughs) The Ministry of Digital Transformation... I have no idea. I don't even want to go into that. Digital transformation seems like you're taking information and transforming it into what? It sounds like a propaganda. Something else. Thing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Yeah. But anyway. Well, maybe they're fighting against that. (laughs) It could be. But why would you say it's the ministry of murder? And it's no, no, we're fighting against murder. That's why we're (laughs) called the ministry of murder. It's because. Right, right, right. But the Ukrainian ministry criticized the statement saying it was too vague. Uh, the developers of the game did not come out with a public statement condemning Putin, which is also something that they are disappointed about. Uh, there have also been baseless accusations. I say baseless, but I haven't done the research. Right, right, right. Saying that sales of the game are being used to fund the war against Ukraine, which doesn't sound realistic based on their numbers they did have the last time i checked sales of the video game uh itself uh was in the neighborhood of 10 million plus dollars gradually increasing dollars yeah compared to uh, Fortnite or something exactly there's that comparison and usually these first person shooter games where it's a one person story there's no way to build additional revenue some games have dlc but usually when people buy downloadable content it's for games that are cooperative in nature player versus player in nature yeah yeah something that where people are coming back day after day after day to play whereas with a first person shooter story-based game there's not that built in but that being said i digress (laughs) well i mean if you're in the united states and you have Let's say even a hundred million dollars. How many tanks is that going to buy? Exactly. It's one of those things I would need to do research to defend this this company. But I like to think that they are right. an artist, that they're building this game that is a love letter to a similar game that came out in 2007 called Bioshock, where it was a oh. society that was another dystopian sort of thing, where it was a society an industrialist basically built this city underwater and the city was called Rapture. Okay. It was a place where people could be artistic and be themselves and so on and so forth and discover things very much like that Oroville started. Right, right. But then they discovered technology that would alter your DNA. God. And then that's <laughs> when this whole underground society became very dystopian. The story is very similar wow. to that, except it takes okay. place in a, in a Russian setting. And the story is very weird. The characters are quirky, but I enjoyed my time with it. Mm-hmm. It's a lot of fun if you like those kinds of games. I played the full game, took me about 25 hours. This is at a leisurely pace, uh-huh. picking it up, putting it down. Right. They've got a fairly basic but solid weapons crafting, powers development kind of dynamics. So the first person shooting, when you're defeating these enemies, you're extracting components from them and then you use those to build up your weapons and powers. Okay. The dystopian story, like I said, it was obviously inspired by Bioshock. There's a part in the story where you were going to a place underground there's a society underwater and it looks very much like Bioshock. Oh, okay. Yeah. And the okay. character says, looks amazing, like a rapture. So. <laughs> okay. Okay. That, that's like an Easter egg. Yeah. Yeah. Sort of. Kind A little bit. Yeah. Not exactly. But. A very large Easter egg hiding behind. 
behind right, a very tiny right. rock. But yeah, I got finished with it and I'm looking forward to the DLC that's coming out. Apparently they're coming out with four additional pieces of the story. Okay. My problem, I, I think I've told you this before with DLC is that one player games with DLC, it feels to me like it's an afterthought. Uh. You put out this DLC, which is an extension of the story, I guess in some cases, but to me it just feels yeah. like it's, you didn't make the deadline to put it into your game. So right, this, it's either that or it's afterthought content where it's not fitting into the story. It doesn't add anything. The other dystopian society game that I'm playing is Horizon Forbidden West. Yes. Aloy, who's taking down robotic dinosaurs game. Yeah. Well, that is... I remember you talking about it. Yeah. That is a society where it was destroyed and then was rebuilt uh, with okay. all the characters. It's like a very tribal sort of society where they all survive off of natural things, plants, except they're the robotic things that help their society. Uh-huh. But then something happens to them, and that's when the dystopian nature <laughs> rears its ugly head. Yeah. But I mean, anyway, right. something like that, they're downloadable content that you have to pay extra for. Also the same with Atomic Heart. You had to pay for the downloadable content, which is forthcoming. They have, the company has Gorilla Games, I believe. They have a track record of making excellent downloadable content that's worth the worth the money. Ah, okay. But this Lundfish... Okay, not just an afterthought. Exactly, yeah. exactly. That's the way it was with Frozen Wilds, which was the downloadable content for Horizon Zero Dawn, which was the first game. Forbidden West is the second game. They just came out with the downloadable content. I just started playing it after I completed Atomic Heart. Yeah. Another dystopian sort of, yeah. like well. I said... Very popular. Yep. Almost, you know, like it, it, the setting, you can have an argument about how all society is dystopian. We can we can take this offline, I guess. No, I want to do it online. Come on. Okay. Okay. Right. Anyway. No, no, no. And then also another cool thing about the game gameplay is that they also have these underground research facilities where you get plans to build components that improve your weapons, but you have to figure out how to open the facility and it's extra content, but it's like puzzle-solving stuff. Oh, yeah, yeah. Which they were pretty well done. I, I enjoyed those. There are a couple things I didn't like about the game. Okay. One of the things is you've got this telekinesis power with your glove where you can lift all of the robots in the world and throw them down. Oh. But you can't pick up anything and throw it at the robot. That doesn't make any sense. If you can pick up all the robots and slam them down, why can't you pick up objects and throw them at the robot? But the only objects you can pick up are... Them. <laughs> well, them in specific ways. Okay. You can't pull something towards you that's a robot and throw that robot at other robots. Oh. <laughs> you can pick up boxes. There's like little cardboard boxes, but not really anything. And then also the environment isn't destructible. I always like a game where you've got destructible things in the environment, but they didn't build that in. Oh, okay. Yeah, I'm not that familiar with... You walk towards some balloons and you start trying to stab the balloons and nothing happens <laughs> kind of thing, right? It's just... <laughs> yeah, yeah. It can take you out of the experience. I did say another thing that I didn't like about the DLC being paid. That's I've already mentioned that. They could have done with a little bit more variety of enemies. I think the enemy types in the game, you had about 12 different types of enemies. Uh -huh. Maybe a few more. The boss fights, each one was fairly unique. Could have been done a little bit better. Uh -huh. For all in all, it was pretty good. I just wish there were more types of enemies and a little bit of variety. Yeah, I could see that. And then finally elevators okay <laughs> okay well, i'm gonna tell you a story here Nora. all right one of the things that when they said that the playstation 5 was coming out one of the things sony told everyone was no more loading screens there are no more loading screens because it's so fast it loads it so fast oh. so that's what i expect exactly all sony games that come out are going to have that from Sony Studios, no loading screens. Well, what happens in this game 
it's cool because the whole quote unquote open world of Atomic Heart, you can walk from one end to another. You can do that. Uh huh. But then when you go to these testing facilities, which are underground, you have to take an elevator. Oh, okay. Yeah. And when you take an elevator, you sit in the elevator for an elevator ride amount of time down. It's, <laughs> it's obviously masking some sort right. of a loading screen because it's an obnoxious amount of time. It's just as much as a loading screen would be back in the day, minutes that you're waiting right. to get down to the bottom. And anyone who says, no, 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 it's supposed to be realistic. It's shut up. <laughs> That's baloney. Right, right, right. Yeah, I get it. I get it. Yeah. Because uh, even in the simple little games I play, sometimes, uh, you know, you have to jump through some imaginary hoops mm-hmm. to wait for the next thing to come up. Right, exactly. Uh, and, and I just think, yeah, they're just like loading. Yeah. Yep. That's the, exactly the thing. So that's the only other negative thing i have to say about atomic art but i enjoyed my time with it it was fun uh dystopian future way yeah so right do you have anything else to talk about as far as dystopian yeah of course well what do you have to talk about dystopia in reality Uh uh-huh okay you know obviously russia historically and today right uh has been seen as a somewhat dystopian nazi germany Right. Uh, various stands like Afghanistan and places in the Middle East, Syria, China. Mm-hmm. You know, how about the United States? Yeah. Have we ever had a period of obviously dystopian? Yeah. It's a matter of perspective, really. How about slaves? Yes. There's slavery. There's also class wars as far as your lower income people being stepped upon by your higher income. True, true, but that's... And your government folks who... See, but I I don't... Yeah, I don't know if that's as dystopian. No. But the slavery thing was... definitely, definitely. Yeah, a big one. Yeah. And I'm sure there's some others, but Mm -hmm. uh, I have... And basically that's it. It's going on. It's in society all internationally mm-hmm. uh, are is everybody dystopian of course not yeah. um, but my my philosophic a philosophical question mm-hmm. are you in a dystopia if you're not aware that you are hmm. if you're brought up and your parents are the kind of parents who do what they're supposed to they don't fall out of line and you're brought up that way right are you living in a dystopia well I mean, because you're satisfied with that's the way life is. Mm-hmm. So just something for people to think about. Going back to the cult thing. Yeah. Everyone agrees that they're following whatever this thing is and they're all happy. But right. why are they happy? Have they been told to be happy? Have they been told this is normal? Have they been told these things? And th- and that that is the thing. Like, are we living in a dystopia? Yeah. I mean, who knows? You could be living in one and not even know it, right? Yeah. We might be in the Matrix. <laughs> oh, so we're going to talk about college algebra now, huh? Oh, no. Oh, no, not, not that Matrix. <laughs> <laughs> Let's wrap it up here. Yes. Your food for thought. Think about it. Do people living who are completely satisfied with the way things are, are they living in a dystopia? Could they be? Hmm. Yeah. It's true. It's in your own brain. It's your perspective. It's very subjective in nature, right? And I also, I wanted to, once again, for dystopian societies, utopian societies, you know, the whole component that's fiction, it's fictional because it's all relative. And I think that that's where my thought is for some people, it's really horrible and maybe dystopian for other people. It may not be. It's all a matter of your perspective. And I think it is fiction, you know, books, movies, games, yeah. uh, that, that it's very popular right now for whatever reason. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it has been for a while, but it's a popular subject. Yeah, but usually there's a cautionary tale involved too, right, with those, with those types of fictions. Oh, yeah. It's not like you read a book where the utopian society flourishes and everything's wonderful. <laughs> 
Right. It's always there's some sort of black mirror kind of learn that occurs. Yes, yes, yes. Love that show. Very dystopian society in that show, right? Yeah. And scenarios that illustrate it. And yeah, those different scenarios. Yes. Yeah. Thank you, Nora, for joining me in this utopia, which is yes. <laughs> my cat filled studio slash apartment full of podcasts full of pod full of two podcasts yeah right thank you nora for joining us i really appreciate it sure it was a pleasure it really was excellent thank you for joining us on this week's episode of the two vague podcast my name is ben and i'm nora and we've been your hosts have a wonderful night bye bye